How to help parents of disabled children navigate the tricky issues of sexuality, sex and harm. A new podcast, The Courage Club, brings parents of medically disabled or neurodivergent kids together with experts over five episodes, seeking to encourage conversations that might normally be taboo, or perhaps just put down the order of things in terms of things to worry about. It's designed as a resource to help keep kids with disabilities safe. Emily Wrights is the Courage Club's host and the mother of two high-needs children. Kia ora. Lovely Kia ora. to have you, Emily. Love to see you. Also with us is Catherine McPhillips from HELP, an organisation that supports Aucklanders who've been sexually abused. And she's one of the podcast partners. Always good to talk to you too, Catherine. Welcome. Kia ora. Thanks, Catherine. Emily, how did this podcast come about? How did you get involved in it? Yeah, well, the team um, came to me and said, um, you know, we would like you to host. And they did this beautiful sort of PowerPoint presentation. And I think I was sort of immediately sold um, on the idea of um, there aren't any resources like this out there that are specific to disabled, neurodivergent and medically fragile children. Um, I went to my whanau and we had a bit of a hui about is this like without, within our kaupapa as a whanau to do this type of work and um, my husband and kids were really like into it and yes let's do it because um, I knew it wasn't just a case of being a host, it would be like us going on a journey as a family to really like work this stuff out and jump into it. So what's the nature of the podcast over the um, over the five episodes? What is that journey? Yeah, so the first four episodes, um, where we've got parents of um, children with neurodivergent um, kids or disabled kids um, all coming together to talk, sort of just talk about these big issues, like how do we approach consent at home? Um, how do we protect our kids who are like our medically fragile kids who often are in hospital and have a lot of stuff done to their body like how do we let them know that they're still in charge of their bodies but they still have to be part of medical procedures we talk about um, how do we model consent at home it's really the first four episodes are a big conversation of all of us going oh I tried this and it was a big fail or I tried this and it really worked out and then the final episode is when we bring our experts in and we say um, can you tell us can you lead us as we go into this next um, as listeners and all that and Catherine what's your role in this been then uh, so I'm part of the group that um, decided that this was needed, if you like, and, um, you know, there was an opportunity with some funding from ACC to do some kind of community prevention program. And I guess we've been aware for so long that there is so little uh, for parents with disabled children and yet disabled children are targeted for sexual abuse. And so really this is just the very first step in, in trying to fill that gap. What do we know uh, about that, uh, Catherine, with respect to uh, targeting is the word. Let's not talk about the vulnerability of a person. Um, it's not their um, doing. It is the doing of someone who spots perhaps an opportunity. And what do we know about that, Catherine? So what we know really is that uh, people target other people who they think basically who they think they'll get away with it with. So people who won't or can't protest or who won't or can't tell 
um, or if they do tell someone, you know, they won't be believed or it won't, you know, seem to matter. And so, you know, various groups of people um, uh, fit that that bill, if you like, and so um, are more likely to be targeted than other people. We'll come back to you for some um, advice, Catherine. I'm sure that's part of what was discussed on the podcast. Um, but Emily, the issues that were raised in the podcast, I think you've already uh, indicated this, were, were they things that had already raised concerns for you? Were you in that situation of it's there, but, you know, taking the step to confront it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm I've always been someone who's like what what do I need to do um for my kids to I think I've I've never met a parent who isn't like thinking how do I keep my kids safe. But the through going through the podcast there were a lot of things that I hadn't really even thought about. I think I thought oh my neurodivergent child it will be really hard um you know helping him understand these concepts but actually I learned a lot about what it's like for our medically fragile kids who are often um you know in envir- hospital environments without their parents there you know I hadn't quite considered all of those things so I mean a- along with the listener I learned so much through this process it was really helpful for me. Can we talk about the medically, um, what was the word, forgive me? Medically fragile. Fragile child. So again, one of the things, and Catherine, come in as you wish, one of the things about this, as you said, is that conventionally with children, one of the earliest things we start teaching them is about their bodies and uh, their right to their bodies and their being in charge of their bodies. And is it complicated, as you say, uh, and what did you learn about children where... Some someone else, um, because of this circumstance, and someone else helping them, has a lot of say over that, and they just go along with it. Can each of you speak to that, please? Yeah, I mean, I can speak to um, my experience with my eldest son. Was you know he was often in hospital, and um, we like talked about how do we um, make sure that he still feels like he has autonomy over his body but he does need to have these medical procedures and so it would be a case of saying to nurses can you wake him up before you draw blood or um, can you explain to him what you're going to do and we tried to do that right from when he was a baby even though he might not understand just so all of us were on the same page around we need to keep open about this but I think because I thought I'd been so involved at the beginning setting these things up I'd kind of as he got older thought oh this is kind of covered and on the podcast I really started to understand that this is ongoing this is the life of your child where you're always having these conversations and it really made me realize I need to keep at it and keep being proactive and not think oh I did that work early on on his journey in the health system it made me realize I need to keep doing it and um, keep at it. And keep at it in what, just keep talking to the professionals, please, always in your interactions with him. Rather than presuming permission you do have, can you reinforce that you are confirming you have that permission? Is that the kind of thing? Absolutely. And, you know, my son's in hospital a lot. Um, so it, it's a case of saying to him, oh, today you have to go in and get some bloods done. Do you want to um, choose which side? Do you want to explain to them? Ask them if they can do a finger prick instead of doing a full draw of blood. And just really encouraging him that when he uses his voice I'm going to back him up and I'm going to be next to him encouraging him to do that. 
Catherine, can you pick up on this? Because it's not necessarily a medical setting, as we said. It might be a uh, a predator, frankly, um, anywhere who presumes an opportunity. And can you pick up on the importance for these children who are very used to uh, another adult interacting with their body? Is there a real value in what Emily's saying about building in them a sense of what is okay when and what, and a sense of autonomy, as she said? Yes, um, absolutely. Look, we call it learned helplessness when a person um, stops kind of, you know, their, their their wishes are overridden so many times that they stop kind of then protesting or putting their wishes out there. So we really need to guard against that and, as Emily says, offer every choice that we can. So there may be some things that, that a child or a person can't have a choice over, but to be making sure all of the time that they have all of the other choices that are available to them, because that's that first point. You know, people there who are targeting uh, others for sexual abuse, that first point is somebody who won't protest. And so actually being, um, you know, constantly reinforcing that children have all of the choices that they can have, you know, preserves that capacity to protest. Take us to another topic you've explored, Emily. Well, another thing that I really um, was... Uh, a lot of the parents talked about in the podcast were those of us who have um, carers for our um, children at home. So we have people come into the home to look after our children to give us respite. And, um, you know, there was a lot of us, our carer is part of the family and we feel like, oh, we just know them. And so I think sometimes you think, oh, I don't have to um, think about this because I know my carer well. They've always been part of the family. But actually your carer can be somebody who with you helps build up, um, you know, that sense in your child that they are in control of their body and they're another person who can help um, your child um, really develop that sense of self and that sense that um, they can speak up and they're not going to get in trouble for speaking up. Um, also, there are a lot of families who have to have different carers all the time because they haven't been able to find a regular carer. And it is a risk when you have lots of different carers through the house. So we talked about open doors, how everybody coming into your house has to be on this co-papa. You all have to be understanding. And Catherine, I hate to bring it up, but we also, stepping away from the situation, Emily, but we also have to be aware that, regrettably, uh, where uh, sexual uh, assaults and sexual offending happens, we can never uh, entirely uh, rule out. Um, It would be lovely to know that there were never a family member or a close family friend or someone we'd known for years who might not offend, but what's the reality, Catherine? The the reality is that children are most often abused in the home by people who parents have given access, you know, to the home. So so that is a reality. And I I think that there's this kind of sense that, um, you know, people who sexually offend are monsters and so it won't be anyone that we know. Um, But the reality is, you know, there's a recent survey done uh, in Australia that something like 6% of men surveyed um, had uh, had erotic thoughts about children, you know. So it, it's quite a lot of people, um, and they are around us now. Not all of those people who have those thoughts act on those, and we would hope that everybody would keep those thoughts to themselves. But you know, not everybody does, and so all families need to understand that this is a risk. 
um, and have that in their heads. So it's not that you go around, you know, looking at everybody and going, oh, you're a sex offender, you're a sex offender. But it is that when your child is unhappy or changes their behaviour or, you know, something's going on with them, that you at least have that in the list of things you think about. So you might think, oh, what happened today? You know, was somebody mean to you or, you know, did your brother hit you or something? But that you also, in that list, think, uh, you know, was there anybody who touched you inappropriately? So that you're considering that because, you know, this is how it can happen almost under the eyes of of parents and caregivers sometimes because we're not even thinking it's a possibility so we don't see it when it's happening. And this goes so we well beyond our current conversation, Catherine. Yes, I beg your pardon. This goes well beyond our current conversation, Catherine. This is a reality for every family. And, and what... <laughs> What do you do? Sometimes you will hear that people's sixth sense was in play, but no one ever wants to think that someone they know and is part of their um, broader family, be it a friend or, um, I, I don't know, a pastor or anybody, no one wants to think that. What's the, what is the conversation you have if you are seeing a behavioural change that, that's concerning you, Catherine? Well, I think the main thing to give people courage to have these conversations is to remember that protecting children and their right to thrive is at the centre of everything. So if you hold the children in the centre rather than your relationship with that person, uh, you know, I think that gives us courage to say, to, to hold the child there, to say, look, you know, I'm just uncomfortable with um you know, the way that you've been interacting with my child. So I'm just going to be here for these play dates for the next, you know, while. You know, so it's actually just really centering the child in there. So you're not accusing the person of something unless you have actually seen something. Um, but you're just actually owning that it's your discomfort and and you're going to do things to keep your kids safe. For um, children or young people who have communication challenges, is there a particular way you can prepare them to communicate about um, a matter they are uncomfortable with this could be any kind of uh, of an issue but is this something that was discussed or something Catherine you can help us with almost not not like a safe word but 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 almost like a way of conveying that something's not right Catherine yeah, so the main thing that we talk about there is, you know, parents know their kids the best. That That is just the reality. And no matter what a child's capacity to communicate um, is, it's the parents who will understand that communication the best. So really it's the same message there as to other parents, which is about taking the time to listen. So when your child is trying to communicate something to you in whatever way it is that they do, to really be present to that and to listen and to make the space for it, which you know can be hard in a busy, busy time. But one of the problems we have is that kids often try to communicate once or twice about something, and if they don't get far with it, if nobody's listening, they they stop trying to tell. So really, that importance of being present, of listening when your child wants to communicate, however it is they do that. Emily, with neurodivergent young people, um, you could have done a probably a hundred series podcast because <laughs> yeah. uh, because you know every everyone is different. Um, but what were some of the principles that got discussed? 
Yeah, um, we talked a lot about um, the tools that we use um, with our um, neurodivergent children, how if we have non-speaking um, neurodivergent children, how we use things like um, images, books, um, to introduce concepts that are a bit harder to understand. Um, we also talked about things like um, recognising um, where our neurodivergent child might not uh, um, recognise um, social cues and things like that, like the feeling you get on your arms when you're just, the vibe has changed and it doesn't feel safe anymore. You know, we talked about how um, our neurodivergent children sometimes don't have that. So it's about explaining when your tummy gets a bit churny and your the hairs on your arms rise up, that might mean that um, you're not feeling as safe. So body find language, an adult. Body yeah. language too. Sometimes we kind of almost... Absolutely. Physically close up to protect. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, I think the thing is it was just actually discussing it all that all the really gold came out. Like, I think the Courage Club is really about saying, have a listen, but then go to your um, friends who are parents and all have a sit down and talk about this stuff. Like, nobody really wants to talk about it, but the gold is when you all talk about it and you say, well, I tried this and it worked really well. You know, it, all of this stuff came from just talking and it's about taking that first step and starting the conversation. Where did you get to by the end of it, especially as parents? As you said, the first and number one instinct after mm. love is to protect. The two are inseparable. Um, and, you know, where did you get to by the end of it as a group? Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, at the, I remember after um, filming and recording, we all had the, like this enormous hug. It was quite an emotional thing of all having a bit of a cry and we had a karakia because we were saying that, you know, this is a conversation that we've had over, you know, um, four days, but we're going to take this on because it's not just one conversation or one podcast. It's making this commitment to your child that I'm going to keep on top of this. I'm going to keep having these conversations. I'm going to keep thinking about ways to protect you and I'm going to keep seeking out expert advice on how I can do that. One of the parents, this is really interesting, talks about how uh, with kids on the spectrum um, there's no room for all the flowery vagueness <laughs> yeah. that we talk about with sex with, with kids, you know, um, that maybe we should all start thinking about sex and sexuality from, from the perspective of an autistic child. Absolutely, yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I think my um, son has taught me so much on how to just don't beat around the bush, just say say what it is, you know, he will often, you know, I'll start talking about something and he'll say, Mum, it's penis, you just say penis, nothing else, you know, not... You know, he's very to the point, and I think that that's actually the way that we should discuss things. Like, he doesn't let me kind of go around the edges of something. He's like, just get to the point. And I think that's what we need to do, just and Catherine, get to the point. Catherine, is there a real value to that? Because, again, a predator will use various kind of code, potentially use code words or... Um, you know, build up this kind of secret language or interaction. Is there a real value in that perspective for all children and young people? Oh, absolutely. Look, the more clearly that um, children and young people can communicate about what's happened um, and to what part of their bodies, then the more likely they are to be, you know, easily understood. So there's absolute value there. Um, and absolute value and kind of understanding as well in a kind of a simplified way, the kind of touching rules that we talk about, you know, so it's okay to touch your own, 
um, it's okay for the other person to touch their own, but it's not okay for you to touch theirs or, you know, them to touch your private parts. You know, those kind of simplified rules that are just simple and clear um, because what people who, who target do is they try to confuse children and, you know, so they'll touch them first in a way that is okay and then they'll gradually move the hand and then the child's confused and then you can't tell because actually you know, will I let that happen? So is it my fault? And, you know, what really happened? And so the clearer and simpler that we can keep everything, the better it is. And the use, as we said, of that language or that this is our special thing or our game or whatever, um, uh, another another way that can be targeted is to just be very, very specific and, and to use correct words. Okay, Catherine, why was this necessary? I mean, great to have it. It's always great to have um, podcasts. It's a wonderful a communication tool and we never stop learning as, as you said um, but was it also because there isn't enough else Catherine? Yes there really is very little um, and you know we keep expecting to see the stats go down we keep expecting there will be less children in this country who are subject to sexual abuse and the uh, repeated kind of youth surveys that we have show us that that's not necessarily the case it's not necessarily what's happening so this is a significant problem in New Zealand and we need to be all doing whatever it is that we can. You know, when we actually look at the figures, we're talking about one in five children, we're talking about more than one in, uh, more than one in four girls. Um, so this is a massive problem that we all need to be part of solving. Look, thanks both for coming in today. Emily, where do people find the podcast, which is called... The Courage the Club. The Courage Club. Yeah, so if you go to thecourageclub.co.nz, you'll be able to find all of the episodes. It's also on Spotify, Apple, all other places that have podcasts. Thank you very much, Emily Wrights and Catherine McPhillips.